0: as Alaikum, brothers and sisters and welcome to another episode of the life of Prophet Muhammad. In our last episode we spoke about the spiritual development of the Prophet. We mentioned that <clears throat> from a very young age the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi, used to hear the angels. Angels would communicate to him but he was not able to see them. Uh, when he was awake. And then as he progressed, as he became older, he started to see the angel Gabriel in his dreams. So he was a muhaddath uh, when he was young, meaning that he was spoken to by angels. And then when he became a prophet at the age of 40, he began seeing visions of angels in his dreams and as we mentioned in our last episode the quran the quranic verses were began being revealed to him when he was at the age of 43 and inshallah we'll get into uh, to more of that detail in this episode now the Prophet ﷺ, <clears throat> for the majority of his adult life, he used to practice what was known as tahannuth. And tahannuth is basically a devotional practice. It's a, it's a meditative type of solitude where the Prophet would leave the, the hustle and the bustle of the city and he would seclude himself in his favorite cave on his favorite mountain, which used to overlook the valley of Mecca. Tahannuth was a tradition that was established by the Prophet's uh, paternal grandfather, Abdul Muttalib. He also used to go to the cave of Hira and meditate and reflect on the purpose of life, his role in Creation and he would uh, spend time worshiping the, the transcendent reality which is God. Now some ulama have said that the word tahannuth comes from the word hinth. The word hinth is an Arabic word which means the violation of an oath, and the word hinth essentially became synonymous with sin. And therefore, tahannuth means to do something to protect yourself from sin. So this meditative seclusion was a type of spiritual exercise that Abdul Muttalib used to uh, practice. And now we see that the Prophet ﷺ, from a, from a young age, for the, the, the majority of his adult life, he would venture out and meditate in that cave. And keep in mind the Prophet ﷺ, you know, he grows up with Bedouins. And I can imagine that when he lived in Mecca, he must have felt alienated from, from nature and venturing out and seeking out the cave of Hira was a way for him to reconnect with uh, with nature, with the creation of God. Now the Prophet used to go to the cave of Hira. Uh, sometimes he would go in the month of Ramadan. He would go sometimes with his family and at other times he would go by himself. He would take some barley porridge and water that used to be prepared uh, by Khadija and he would Head uh, for the hills. Now, you know, why did he enjoy this type of solitude? You know, as we've mentioned, this provided the prophet an opportunity to separate himself from the worldly distractions that he's surrounded by uh, when he's in Mecca. It also provides him with much needed time to contemplate the signs and favors of god and to praise him and the cave of Hira also offers a spectacular view of mecca and specifically it gave him a very beautiful uh, view of the kaaba itself Uh, when i first went uh, to mecca uh, when i performed the hajj when i was 18 i remember climbing that mountain and I actually entered the cave of Hira and one of the most striking things that I noticed about the cave was that it actually overlooked the uh, the Kaaba. it overlooked the entire valley of Mecca and it just gave me the impression that it's it's as though the Prophet was waiting for this divine uh, calling. So the Prophet وآله, he used to go to the cave of Herat to separate himself from the worldly distractions. He would spend time worshipping and contemplating. And he also did so because he felt deeply distressed by the corruption he witnessed. And he needed time to contemplate about how to bring about the necessary social reforms. Mecca, in the Prophet's mind, was was toxic because of the corruption, because of the, the social ills. And that private time, that solitude, gave him the opportunity to reflect on what needed to change in Mecca. In, in Nahjul balagha in Sermon 192, we find that Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib السلام, actually mentions that on many occasions, Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib would accompany the Prophet when he would go to the cave of Hira. In Sermon 192 of Nahj balagha Amir al-Mu'mineen, he says, وَلَقَدْ كَانَ فِي كُلِّ Every year he used to go in seclusion to the cave of Hira. So this was something that was ongoing. You know, this was not a phase in the Prophet's life. It was, you know, every year he would dedicate time to this uh, this meditative solitude. He would go into seclusion in the cave of Hira, the Imam says, where I saw him, but no one else saw him. Meaning that Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib would accompany him and it was only the Prophet and Ali. And of course, as we mentioned, you know, the fact that you know, Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib joined the household of Khadija and the Prophet when he was you know, maybe five or six years old. So it's, it's very possible that when Ali ibn Abi Talib was five, six, seven years old, he would join the Prophet and spend uh, days, if not weeks, up in that uh, mountain. وَلَمْ يَجْمَعْ بَيْتٌ وَاحِدٌ يَوْمَئِذٍ فِي الْإِسْلَامِ غَيْرَ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ وَأَنَا ثَالِثُهُمَا In those days, the Imam says, in those days Islam did not exist in any house except that of the Prophet of God, peace and blessings of God be upon him and his descendants, and Khadijah, while I was the third after these two. Ali ibn Abi Talib, he says, I used to see the light of the revelation and message and smell the fragrance of Prophethood. So it seems that from this statement of Ali ibn Abi Talib, that he he would see what the Prophet was witnessing. He would hear... What the Prophet would hear, that he saw the light of revelation and he could smell the fragrance of prophethood. Now, contrary to popular belief, the Prophet does not receive revelation, Quranic revelation, when he's 40. He actually receives the first revelation in the cave of Hira when he's 43. And he receives it in the month of Ramadan. So again, unfortunately, the popularized narrative is that the Prophet receives the first five verses of Surah Al-Alaq in the month of Rajab, in the 27th of Rajab. However, when you look at the narrations of the Ahlul Bayt, you find that they clearly indicate that the Qur'an was revealed over a span of 20 years. We know the Prophet dies at the age of 63. And for, for, it, for revelation to continue for 20 years would mean that revelation begins at the age of 43. Now as we mentioned in our last episode... The Prophet becomes, his nubuwa, his prophethood begins at the age of 40. And then the first ayat of the Qur'an are revealed when he's 43. And they're revealed in the month of Ramadan, in the year 613 Common Era. And as many of you know, the, the verses that are revealed... Bismillah Rahman Rahim, Ekra Bismarabbikal Levi Khalak, Khalakal Insanam in Alak, Ekra Warabu Kal Akram, a Levi Alamabil Alam, Alamal Insanam Alam Yalam. Read in the name of your Lord who created, created man from a dangling clot. Read for your most gracious Lord who taught the use of the pen has hereby taught man what he did not know. Now, so the narrations mention that at the age of 43, and as we indicated in our previous sessions, that initially Israfil was appointed uh, as the caretaker of the Prophet, that he conveyed certain things to the Prophet. And then after three years... At the age of forty-three, Jibrail is assigned to the Holy Prophet. Now, another thing that happens in the month of Ramadan, at the age of forty-three, is the Quran in its entirety is revealed. So the Quran in its totality is revealed in this in the year in the the year six hundred and thirteen Common Era. So when the Prophet is 43, he receives the first five verses of Surah al alaq And on the night of Qadr, he receives the Qur'an it's in, in its totality. So the Qur'an was revealed in the month of Ramadan as the Qur'an itself attests to. So in Surah Al-Baqarah, verse 185, Allah says, Shahr Ramadan الَّذِي أُنزِلَ Quran." So, the previous verse was speaking about fasting. The designated days of the fast are the month of Ramadan in which the Qur'an was revealed. Now, the Qur'an is revealed in the month of Ramadan, but it's revealed on a specific night. In Surah 44, ayah number 3, Allah says, Inna fi mubarakah." We sent it down during a blessed night Now what is that blessed night? It's the night of Qadr as we read in Surah Al-Qadr Surah 97 Ayah number 1 "Inna anzalnahu fi Laylatil Qadr." Now where was the Quran sent down on the night of decree? The night of decree is, is Laylat Al-Qadr We have different narrations that mention different places the Qur'an was revealed uh, on the night of Qadr. So we have some riwayat, some narrations that mention that the Qur'an was sent down to Al-Baytul Ma'mur. Al-Baytul Ma'mur is the inhabited house. This is essentially the Ka'aba for the inhabitants of the heavens. And it is It is uh, parallel with uh, the Kaaba. The narration is from Hafs ibn Ghiyath, one of the companions of Imam al Sadiq, An Abiy Abdullah alayhi salam, qal, sa'al tuhu an qawlillahi azzawajal. Hafs ibn he says, I asked Abu Abdullah al Sadiq, he asked the sixth Imam about God's statement. شهر رمضان الذي انزل فيه القران غياث so says i came to imam al-sadiq asking him about this quranic verse from surah al-baqarah which says that the designated fasts of the month are the month of are the month of ramadan in which the quran was revealed فيه, so here Hafs ibn Ghiyath is saying that it seems that there is a contradiction here. The Qur'an states that the Qur'an was revealed in the month of Ramadan, whereas it was actually revealed over 20 years from its beginning to its end. So again, I draw your attention to the number 20 here. If the first verses of the Qur'an were revealed upon the Prophet when he was 40, that would mean that the Qur'an was revealed over a period of 23 years. Whereas here and in other narrations, it mentions 20 years, which indicates and proves that the Prophet receives the first verses of the Qur'an at the age of 43. In any case, Imam Al Sadiq answers Faqala Abu Abdullah alayhi salam Nazal al Quran tan wahida fi shahri Ramadan il al bait al ma'amur. Thumma nazale fi toli ishrina sana. The Imam said the Quran came down as a whole in the month of Ramadan to al bait al ma'amur. To that the inhabited house, which is the Ka'bah for the inhabitants of the uh, of, of for the inhabitants of the heavens, and then it came down across twenty years. So again, the Imam doesn't correct halfl of He doesn't say you know it was revealed over twenty three years. There's an understanding that the Quranic revelation took peri- took uh, place over a period. Of 20 years. So the first opinion is that the Qur'an was revealed in the month of Ramadan at one time to Al-Bayt al Ma'mur, and then the gradual revelation was from al Baytul al to the Prophet. That's one opinion. The second opinion is that the Qur'an was revealed in its totality to the heart of the prophet. So for instance in Surah Ash-Shu'ara, Surah 26 verses 192 to 195 we read: وَإِنَّهُ لَتَنْزِيلُ رَبِّ الْعَالَمِينَ نَزَلَ بِهِ الرُّوحُ الْأَمِينُ عَلَى قَلْبِكَ لِتَكُونَ مِنَ الْمُنْذِرِينَ بِلِسَانٍ عَرَبِيٍّ مُبِينٍ and indeed, it is a revelation of the Lord of the worlds. The trustworthy spirit, meaning Jibra'il, has brought it down upon your heart, O Muhammad. So the Qur'an, when it was sent down in its, in its complete form, it was sent down to the heart of the Prophet. It descended to the purest place in alamud dunya, which is none other than the qalb, the heart of the Prophet, and then, of course, it was revealed gradually over a span of 23 years, a span of 20 years, as we read in al الإسراء, verse 106: وقرآنا فرقناه لتقرأه على الناس على مكث ونزلناه we have divided the book into parts, so that you may recite it for people gradually, and we sent it down piecemeal. So the Quran was instantaneously revealed to the heart of the Prophet, and then the Quran, Jibrail descends upon the Prophet and signals to him which verses to reveal. To the people. And this is why in Surah 75, verses 16 to 18, Allah tells the Prophet not to be hasty in reciting the Quran. Bismillah rahman rahim la tuharrik bihi lisanaka بِهِ Move not your tongue with it, O Muhammad, to hasten with its recitation. إن علينا جمعه Qur'ana فإذا قرأناه فاتبع قرآنا. indeed upon us meaning upon God is its compilation and its recitation. so when we have so when we have recited it through Gabriel then follow its recitation meaning do not recite the Quran to the people until Jibra'il gives you the okay, until Jibra'il gives you the green light, which highlights that the Prophet, that the knowledge of the Qur'an was already in the heart of the Prophet. The the realities of the Qur'an were already infused into the heart of the Prophet. And over these 23 years, the role of Jibra'il is essentially to reveal to the prophet what part of the quran which is embedded in his heart is to be shared with the public now one of the points with respect to the first revelation that is that uh, that is noteworthy is that when you when you read some of the books of hadith particularly in the sunni tradition you find that The Prophet's experience in the cave of Hira when Gabriel descended upon him was that of bewilderment and confusion. The Prophet is portrayed in Sahih al-Bukhari as a man who simply did not know what was happening to him. A man who doubted whether he was even sane or not. Who doubted what was being communicated to him. And inshallah, we'll go through uh, this narration uh, that is found in Bukhari. And inshallah, I'll provide uh, some commentary and we'll point out why we in the Shia tradition doubt the authenticity of this report. <clears throat> so the narration is from Urwa ibn Zubayr, An' Aisha, Umm al muminin so the narration is from Urwa ibn Zubair from Aisha. And I'll just read the, the English translation for the sake of time because it is a very lengthy uh, tradition. So Aisha says, The commencement of the divine inspiration or the divine revelation to the messenger of God was in the form of good dreams which came true like bright daylight. So the Prophet ﷺ before Jibrail descends with the first revelation. The prophet was receiving divine inspiration in the form of dreams. And we also mentioned that this is what is what we have in, uh, in the Shia, in Shia hadith sources, where the prophet, before the, before the first revelation, he sees angels in his dream. He sees Jibra'il in his dreams. So the commencement of the divine inspiration to the Messenger of God was in the form of good dreams, which came true like bright daylight. Anything that the Prophet would see in his dreams would materialize in the real world. And then the love of seclusion was bestowed upon him. The Prophet alayhi wa alayhi, yes, he was a social person, but he enjoyed Seclusion. He enjoyed being alone. He used to go in seclusion in the cave of Hera, where he used to worship continuously for many days before his desire to see his family. He used to take with him, he used to take with him the journey food for this day, and then came back, and then come back to his wife to take his food likewise again. So Aisha says. He would go, he would take some provisions with him. When he would run out of food, he would return to Khadija and she would provide him with uh, with more food so he can go back to his, his, uh, his meditative solitude. Till suddenly the truth descended upon him while he was in the cave of Hira. The angel came to him and asked him to read. The Prophet replied, I do not know how to read. The Prophet added, The angel caught me forcefully and pressed me so hard that I could not bear it anymore. He then released me and again asked me to read, and I replied, I do not know how to read. Thereupon he caught me again and pressed me a second time till I could not bear it anymore. He then released me and again asked me to read. But again I replied, I do not know how to read or what shall I read? Thereupon he caught me for the third time and pressed me and then released me and said, Read in the name of your Lord who has created all that exists, created man from a clot. Read and your Lord is the most generous. And the first five verses of Surah Al-Alaq. Aisha continues saying, Then the Messenger of God returned with the inspiration and with his heart beating severely. Then he went to Khadijah bin Khuwaylid and said, Cover me, cover me. The Prophet was presumably shaking from, from terror. He was terrified. They covered him till his fear was over. And after that, he told her everything that had happened and said, I fear that something may happen to me. So if you look at many of the, the narrations, it highlights that the Prophet thought that maybe he was possessed by a jinn, by a devil. And in this narration, you see that Khadijah tries to reassure the Prophet. So the Prophet is, is doubtful. He doesn't know what's happening to him. Khadijah then says, never. Never. By God, God will never disgrace you. So the Prophet basically tells her that maybe I'm being punished, maybe I'm possessed, maybe I've lost my mind. Khadijah says, never. By God, God will never disgrace you. You keep good relations with your kin, you help the poor and the destitute, you serve your guests generously, and you assist the deserving, calamity-afflicted ones. So you're, you're a good person. That you would, you're not. You would. God would not allow you to be possessed by a devil or a jinn. Nor is God punishing you. But apparently, according to this tradition, it wasn't enough that the prophet was still shaken. He was confused. Khadija then accompanied him to her cousin Waraka ibn nawfa who during the pre-Islamic period became a Christian, and he used to write the writing with hebrew letters he would write so this is aisha speaking he would write from the gospel in hebrew as much as allah wished him to write he was an old man and had lost his eyesight khadijah said to warqa listen to the story of your nephew you know because you know they're they're distant cousins listen to the story of your nephew Waraqa said, O my nephew, he's now speaking to the Prophet who is completely bewildered, he's confused, he's shaken up by this experience. O my nephew, he says, what have you seen? The Messenger of God described whatever he had seen. Warakah said, this is the same one who keeps the secrets, the angel Gabriel, whom God sent to Moses. I wish I were young and could live up to the time when your people would turn you out. So, it's Waraka who's explaining to Rasulullah what's happening to him. that The Prophet doubts, he doesn't even believe what's happening to him, he's not sure. Aisha says that a Christian monk confirms to the Prophet that, No, 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 you're not possessed by a jinn, Ya Rasulullah. This is what happened to Moses. This is the angel Gabriel who seized you. And he says that I wish that I could live long enough to to witness you in your your heyday, basically. And this is where the messenger of God asked, will they drive me out? Are my people going to drive me out because of the message that I'm going to deliver to them? Waraqa replied in the affirmative and said, anyone who came with something similar to what you have brought, was treated with hostility. And if I should remain alive till the day when you will be turned out, then I would support you strongly. But after a few days, Waraka died and the Divine Inspiration was also paused for a while. Furthermore, in in Kitab Al-Ta'beer, there is a section in uh, Sahih Al-Bukhari which is dedicated to the interpretation of dreams. And a part of the narration relates to Nuzul al wahi it relates to the first revelation. And here it says that the Prophet was so terrified by the experience that he was suicidal so the narration says fa yanshab warqatu an so after a few days of the prophet sharing this story with him his experience in the cave of hira he warqa dies wafatar wafatar alwahid revelation was suspended hatta hazana Nabiu sallallahu alayhi wa ali fima balaghna huznan غدا مِنْهُ مِرَارًا كَيْ مِنْ رُؤُوسِ شَوَاهِقِ الْجِبَالِ So the narrator says that it was conveyed to us that the Prophet, after the death of Waraka, after Revelation was suspended, the Prophet became so sad, so sad as we have heard, that he intended several times to throw himself from the tops of high mountains. And every time he went up the top of a mountain in, or- in order to throw himself, Gabriel, Jibraid would appear before him. So whenever the Prophet was on the verge of committing suicide, Jibra'id would appear and say, O Muhammad, you are indeed God's messenger in truth. Which indicates, which highlights here that according to this report in Bukhari, the Prophet was still in doubt about whether he was a Prophet or not. He was suicidal. So Jibreel consoles the Prophet, tries to calm him down. Oh Muhammad, you are indeed God's messenger in truth. Whereupon his heart would become quiet and he would calm down and would return home. So Jibreel essentially talks the Prophet out of Committing suicide. And whenever the period of the coming of the inspiration used to become long, he would do as before. So let, and so the Prophet had this habit according to this narration where if Jibrail doesn't appear for a few days, if there are no ayat of the Quran, he would go to a mountain and he would attempt to throw himself off the mountain and then Jibrail would intervene and say, O oh Muhammad, you are a messenger of God. You are really a messenger of God. Don't take your life. And so on and so forth. Now, the problems with this narrative. Now again, the first narration that is transmitted by Aisha is accepted by, by Sunnis. The narration that mentions his attempted suicide is not accepted by all Sunnis. Some say that this is not an authentic uh, report. Some say that it is. So there is ikhtilaf on that issue. Now, the problems with this narrative. If you recall, the narration in Bukhari that explains in detail the Prophet's experience with the first revelation is narrated by Urwa ibn Zubayr. Urwa ibn Zubair, who is married to Aisha's sister, so there's a there's a family connection there. Now, the narrations that mention the Prophet being confused and bewildered uh, with uh, in the cave of Hera, and he was unsure about whether he was a prophet or not. Most of the traditions that are the source of this narrative, come through the house of Zubair. They are Zubairis. And the house of Zubair had family ties to Khadija and Waraka, the Christian monk. So again, the narration that we mentioned is transmitted by Urwa ibn Zubair from Aisha. And he was married to Aisha's sister, Asma. Another transmitter of such reports is Ismail. Uh, Ibn Abi Hukayn, he's an ally, a supporter of the house of Zubayr. Wahab ibn Kaysan, he's also an ally of the house of Zubayr. Abdullah ibn Zubayr from Ubaid. So Zubayr ibn Awam. So these narrations come from the house of Zubayr. Now why is this significant? And why does this warrant doubt on our part about the authenticity? Number 1 we have to remember that the house of Zubayr the Zubayrids were contenders for the Khilafah after Karbala and if you want to make a case for yourself that you are qualified that you are deserving for the uh, deserving deserving of the Khilafah, you have to possess certain merits that set you apart from others and the way that they did this is they likely tried to aggrandize the role of their kinsfolk in the first revelation. So the Zubayrids, the house of Zubayr, it seems that they tried to bolster their status by essentially hinting that it was a member of our family, a relative, who reassured the prophet that he was an act- actually a prophet. So the house of Zubair has family ties to Waraka. And this is where you have the story of Waraka who essentially gives the Prophet confidence that, you know, don't doubt yourself, O Muhammad. You are indeed a messenger of God. So so you have the Zubairis, they have this, potentially this motive to present themselves and their ancestors as Important players in the early days of Islam and who who essentially, uh, whose relatives gave the Prophet the boost in confidence to continue his message. Now another problem with this narrative is that it portrays the Prophet as being uncertain and doubtful about his own mission. And this, of course, contradicts what we know rationally about Prophets. What do we mean? How can we be expected to to believe in a Prophet who does not believe in himself? So how can we be expected to be certain, to have yaqeen, if the Prophet himself was not certain? So this is an epistemological dilemma that if it is obligatory upon us to believe in the nubuwa of the Prophet, how can this be a requirement when the Prophet himself had doubts about the legitimacy of his own nubuwa? Now, this also contradicts the Qur'an because the Quran explicitly states that the Prophet وآله, was endowed with insight and certainty with respect to his mission. In Surah Yusuf, verse 108, Allah says to the Prophet, "Qul sabili, Say, this is my path. And Surah Yusuf is a Meccan surah. This is my path. I call to God. I and those who follow me are with insight. Allah describes the Prophet as being someone who has basira. And this does not conform to the reports about the Prophet being bewildered and confused uh, with the, uh, the dissent of Revelation. In Surah Al-An'am, we read, قُلْ إِنِّي عَلَى بَيِّنَةٍ مِّنْ Say, O Muhammad, I am with proof from my Lord. How can the Prophet be on bayina from his Lord if he has doubts that he's a Prophet and he has to go to a Christian monk to reassure him and then when Jibrail doesn't appear and revelation is interrupted, According to the narration that we read, he tries to commit suicide. So the Qur'anic description of the Prophet is very different from the descriptions that we find in those narrations that speak about uh, the beginning of Revelation. And it also contradicts what the Imams tell us about the nature of Revelation. There's a, a question that zurara zurara ibn a'yun he asks imam al-sadiq zurara is one of the elite students of the 5th and 6th imam And zurara qala qultu li abi abdullah alayhi salam kayfa lam yakhaf rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alihi fi ma ya'tih min أَيَّكُونَ أي ذَٰلِكَ مِمَّا يَنْزِغُ بِهِ الشيطان. It's a very good question. Zorara asked Imam al-Sadiq, How is it that the Messenger of God did not fear that what came to him from God might be insinuations from Satan? And this is what is implied in the hadith that is transmitted by Aisha. The Prophet comes down from the cave of Hera. He's trembling, he's confused, he's bewildered. He, he asks Khadija, that, do you think that I'm possessed? And she, she assures him that you're a man who looks after the orphans, that you're generous, you're kind. God would never disgrace you. Those who portray the Prophet in this way do not understand the nature of revelation. And Imam al sadiq explains here, when Zurara asks him, how is it that the Messenger of God did not fear that what came to him from God might be insinuations from Satan? فقال, the Imam alayhi salam responds, Imam al-Sadiq, إِنَّ اللَّهِ إِذَا اتَّخَذَ عَبْدًا رَسُولًا أَنْزَلَ عَلَيْهِ السَّكِينَةَ والوقار فَكَانَ الَّذِي يَأْتِيهِ مِنْ قِبَلِ الله مثل الَّذي يراه بعينه. The Imam السلام, he says, When God makes a person a messenger, He sends down tranquility and certainty on him. Thereafter, what comes to him from God is as certain as what he sees. Imam al-Sadiq is essentially saying that revelation is not ambiguous. What Aisha mentions indicates that she does not understand the nature of revelation. Because you cannot be confused when God speaks to you. You cannot be confused when Jibrail is revealing to you. Because when Allah chooses someone as a prophet, as a messenger, He sends down Sakinah upon them. They are composed. They have certainty, wikar, certainty is infused into their hearts. When God sends a messenger, what does it say about God that the messenger himself doesn't know if God has sent him as a messenger? Divine justice, divine wisdom dictates... That Allah would make the fact that this man is my Prophet very clear to him. That there is no ambiguity because the nature of revelation itself is that revelation is light. Amir al-Muminin, what does he say? أَرَى al-Wahi. I see, I saw the light of revelation. There is no ambiguity. There is no bewilderment. The Prophet knew exactly what happened to him. He did not need a Christian monk to reassure him. He did not doubt for a single moment that he was possessed by a jinn or a devil. Because Allah sent down Sakina tranquility and certainty on him. Because And what's what's striking is that when you look at the seerah of the Prophet, if this actually happened, don't you think the likes of Abu Sufyan and Abu Jahid would have used it against Rasulullah? In the battle of Badr, Abu Sufyan would have said, Listen, you claim to be a messenger of God. Don't you remember that first the first few days or the first weeks when you yourself doubted that you were a messenger of God? We don't have any reports from the enemies of the Prophet that mention this bewilderment or confusion during those during the beginning of revelation. So the Imam alayhi salam he says. That the way that the Prophet knew that this was not an insinuation of shaitan is because revelation itself is clear, it's light. And God sends his tranquility and certainty upon his Prophet. And what comes to him from Allah is as certain as what he sees with his own eyes. Thank you so much brothers and sisters for tuning in. And inshallah we will continue our discussion about what ha- what transpired after the first revelation in our next episode. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.